So today we're going to look over 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 16 through 18. And, to, and the title today is God's Expectations. I mean, really, you can put great expectations, literally. But so with this passage then that we're going to go over, there's really three short expectations or commands, really, that are given. And I'm going to say them quickly. Rejoice always, pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances. There you go. God's demands or expectations of you. Here's what's intriguing about these seemingly three short statements. They all have essentially one thing in common. I mean, of course, you can point out a lot of things, but one big thing. The common thing is they are comprehensive in nature in regards to what they apply to in our life. Because when you notice those statements, there's no particular context of life, of life that which these commands apply to and which ones they don't apply to. Paul does not say here, rejoice some of the time when you feel like it and you don't have indigestion. Okay? Pray when you have, when you have time or remember to. Give thanks in some circumstances that happen to be beneficial to you. No, these are very blanket, blanket statements, expectations that are to be applied to all of our life. And really, these commands then are really relentless in nature. These commands are made essentially here to make you wake up and understand the call upon you now as a believer. I mean, we, have a, we haven't even necessarily taken apart the text, but let me just ask you, I'm going to ask you just, just a few questions. Are you always rejoicing? Is that you? Was that what you were doing when you got up this morning and rushed to church? Would, you would, would this describe you this week, that you were always rejoicing? Or what about praying without ceasing? How are you doing with that, honestly? I know some of you, right, some of you out there are already thinking of situations maybe that it would be impossible to pray in. You're like, ha, there's some situations that it's impossible. And sure. Whatever situation you're thinking of for this moment that you're saying you can't pray in, we'll just say, okay, you can't in that moment for argument's sake. Okay, we'll just say it. But let me ask you this then. Is praying without ceasing a description of your life? Not that you pray a lot, but praying without ceasing, without halting, without stopping. Does that describe your life, your lifestyle? And lastly, most, and kind of, in my opinion, the most brutal of them all, is do you give thanks to God in all circumstances? And by all, I mean all. The good, the bad, and the ugly. Does thanks just spring out of your heart and mouth to God when life comes crashing down? More personal. How about when that car is driving ever so slowly in front of you and you're late to an important event? Does thanks pour out of your mouth in that circumstance? 
Give thanks in all circumstances. Now, I'm not trying to be hard for the sake of being hard, okay? I'm just trying to, trying to get all of us to, to understand, along with myself. Remember, I don't just preach at you, I preach at me. <laughs> to make us know and remember that we do not have as good as, of a grasp as we like to think upon this thing called the Christian life. Or meeting God's expectations on our own. We don't have a good grasp on it. Because these verses are not some good advice to give you, to build you up and make you increase in life. It's not advice. That's how we take them and how we treat them and how we think of them. But these verses, they're not advice, they're commands that, that are called to do the exact opposite for you and me. They are meant to make you decrease so that Christ can increase in you. John the Baptist said it well in John chapter 3, verse 30, where he speaks of Jesus and he says, he must increase, but I must decrease. That should be tattooed on our forehead. If you don't like tattoos, don't get a tattoo, okay? I'm just, I know you're like, some of you are like, Okay, and, but honestly, though, okay, if you get nothing else of what I say here today, okay, if your mind just checks out somewhere else, understand this, this increasing Jesus in you and you decreasing, that is the key to looking at these verses or really just the Bible as a whole. We go to the Bible to know our Christ and cherish our Christ, who he is and what he's done so that he can be known to all, not you. So that we can get out of the way and show how great Jesus is, not you. So we're going to look at our text and see how then we can know and reveal our Christ more and more. Paul says in verse 16, rejoice always. Want to memorize a verse? There you go. Just there you go. Done. Amen. <laughs> now, let's make sure we understand what's not being commanded here, okay? Just so we're clear. He's not saying always be happy, okay? Joy can lead to the emotion of happiness, but that's not what Paul is getting at here. Nor is he saying that you can never have any sadness in your life or ever be distraught. The, com the command to be joyful it is the command is to be joyful always. But, okay, so, but understand this, okay? You can be joyful and yet, for example, sorrowful at the same time. Paul clearly says that in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 10. He says, as sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. So clearly rejoicing does not mean you won't have emotions that seemingly contradict it, Okay? Now then, what is joy or this rejoicing then we're called to always have? It's actually harder to define than what you think. But you could put it this way. It is this heartfelt attitude that goes deeper than an emotion that takes rest and takes 
pleasure in the truth of the promises of the gospel at all times, above all else. Resting and taking pleasure in that. Finding pleasure in this gospel message. So a different way of approaching this topic of always rejoicing is what Paul is getting at. And, and as to why we should always be rejoicing is that we always have more than what we could ever gain in this world. That no matter how much we have lost in this world, like we lose relationships, we lose our health, we lose our finances, we lose our respect, we lose our loved ones. We are to always rejoice now because we have something greater than all those things. And, and yes, even greater than the people we lose in this life. And that is that we have God himself. We are to always rejoice because we have him now. Or more specifically, he knows us personally as his beloved children, and he's always with us. We are to rejoice always because we are now always on God's mind with his constant smile upon us. And you are now part of his family, his kingdom, forever and ever and ever and ever. Here's the kicker. Here's the kicker that blows my mind. And the wonder of this command to always rejoice is that when you realize that you're, that you're not always rejoicing, which we all fall prey to, I think, we do, we then, when we realize that, as a consequence, can begin to rejoice because we know that God does not hold our sin of, for us not always rejoicing in him. He doesn't hold it against us. Which, by consequence, always rejoicing and knowing we can always rejoice in knowing that all the rejoicing that is required, that he demands, has been fulfilled in Jesus for us by faith in him. Again, in response to such a wonder of the gospel, and taking pleasure in it, taking pleasure in Jesus' works, will then cause us to rejoice in those moments when you realize you're not rejoicing. Because then it starts to make whatever you're facing seem small in comparison. And you start understanding the promises of the gospel, that he's not going to hold it against us. It makes whatever we're struggling with seem so petty in contrast into knowing the gospel truth that God Almighty loves you anyways, even as you fail to rejoice in him always. Which is something to rejoice over. His love For Christ has come and will accomplish his mission in bringing you to God. And to, and to never have that wonderful relationship, that loving, caring relationship that God now has with you, to ever be broken. He's going to guarantee it. This is the joy that Paul is speaking about, to always rejoice in. That you can always rejoice in, even when you don't feel like rejoicing. And it's exactly what the angel declared for all, in, as it says in Luke chapter 2, verse 10 through 11. This, the joy that we've spoken about is the joy that this angel is declaring. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of a great 
joy that will be for all the people that hear him. For unto you this for, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. Why is it joyful? Because he's coming to accomplish something for us. He's going to make sure that we'll never leave God's side. The joy of resting in Jesus no matter what happens or what is lost or what struggles or failures or mess-ups that you have or pain you're dealing with. That no matter what people say about you, think of you, do to you, or even what you think and say to yourself or even do to yourself. Sometimes we can be even harsher to people than that. Even so, you are to always rejoice in knowing that you are now a child of God by faith alone in Jesus. And no matter what, your end, your destination is to be with God forever because of what Christ has done for you through faith in him. Rejoice. Rejoice. You know when uh, Peter, this is not in the, this is not in the verse that Rick read, but, but Rick read. Where is it? Come on, there it is. When Peter realizes who Jesus is and he says, away with me, I'm a sinful man. That's, I read this other day, the other day that sometimes that's the prayer that we pray to the Lord. Why is that the case? A doctor prays, Lord, I am a sinful man, I need you. That's the gospel prayer. But we tend to be like the Peter. We stay away from me, I'm not good enough. Jesus is like, I know, that's why I came. Anyways. The gospel of God's grace is our source of joy and rejoicing that makes all things disappear and why ultimately we're not overcome with the sorrow, the pain, the grief, the anger, the worry, or whatever emotion that comes our way, as strong as they may be in our life, because we can always, by faith, look to the gospel and know its joyous promises and its inheritance that we are to see and to see them as vastly greater in comparison to anything else. So whatever is bringing you down, remember the gospel and how much greater it is than anything, anything else compared to this world. Even your own bodily health, it is better than the gospel. Or as Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, verse 8, indeed I count everything as loss. That includes his own Everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of some things, most things, kind of everything I don't like. No, all things, even the good stuff. Count them as rubbish, a very strong word in the Greek, in order that I might win Christ. So Paul says, on top of always rejoicing, we are to, in verse 17, Pray without ceasing. There's another verse we can pray on. Pray without ceasing. Now again, it's important to understand what Paul is not saying. He is not saying you are to only verbally be speaking to God and no one else all the time. For, there, for though verbal prayer in which people can hear your words is one aspect of prayer, 
But prayer goes much deeper than that. Just like joy is deeper than the emotion of joy. So you can see or understand prayer then in this way. As always being consciously aware of God's presence in your life. In all things, in all people, relationships, eating, drinking, walking, working, whatever. And glorifying him in it. So that can be verbal. That can be said in your mind or in your heart. Or in your character or emotion or whatever. That can be done. Or it's supposed to be done. See, Psalm 105, verse 4, puts it this way in, in, in regards to prayer. Oh, I never seen it that way. Maybe now you will. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his presence continually. For we are to have a constant com communication with the Lord. Right? Saying things like, Lord, this is yours. Oh, help me, Lord. Oh, help them, Lord. How awesome is this, Lord? Lord, I am amazed you created such a thing. Lord, I am so glad you brought X person into my life. Lord, please save person B, and so on and so on and so on. All this can be done in the heart or with your words or under your breath or in the subtext of your mind. But whatever the case, we are to have a constant communication and open communication to our God in our inner being. I mean, if you say the Holy Spirit lives inside of you, what do you think that means? Is there, you're called to be aware of his presence within you. For whatever the case, right, you have this constant communication with an inner being because he is always with you with his favorable, favorable presence towards you. He's listening, he's watching, he's helping, he's blessing. But here's another thing that blows my mind. And breaks my heart. Just even myself. The Almighty God wants to hear from you always. And yet we speak with him first. We are commanded to speak to him. And yet we find little to no time to sit and chat with him. How insane are we to refuse, refuse such a privilege and a command. I mean, I just look at myself. I'm like, I must be nuts. The Almighty God wants, wants to speak with me, and I'm just like, meh. God has declared to all of us, all his children, to go to the throne of grace by prayers. And see, prayer is a two-way communication. To not only speak to him, but to be still and listen to him Listen to him comfort our hearts. And yet how fast we reject him and think his counsel is foolish or useless. Look at how fast that is. And if you're trying to grasp what I'm getting at, I'll give you something more concrete in understanding this rejecting of his counsel and not listening. Follow me here. Understand, we're all guilty of such rejection of him in, in our prayer life. Because God has given us full access to hear his word and to take 
heart from Christ. Well, where is that? Where, do we, where are we to go to hear his voice? Hear him speak to us? Well, it's not a, a spiritual cave. It's not some high off mountain. And it's not within us like some mystic. Because all his words are found in the Bible, which we all have access to. This is where God will speak to us if you just take the time. And I'm not even saying that you have to sit down for a whole hour, per se, and read it. I'm not even saying you have to journal, right, all these spiritual things. I'm not even saying do all that. I'm just saying just dwelling upon his word within our mind. He'll speak to you through that. Right? It's not inner you, it's his word speaking to you that you remember. <laughs> or that the spirit will bring to your mind. That's how he speaks. Filling our hearts with Bible verses. But yet, we would rather fill our minds and hearts with so many other useless things. Fill it with hobbies, politics, media rather than his word, which speaks directly to us, which he speaks through, through the power of the Spirit in our life. Now, again, I'm not, now I want to say something. I'm not saying that you can't think upon media, you can't be involved with hobbies or politics and so on and so on. Okay, I'm not getting that, okay? But what I'm asking, what I'm, what I'm encouraging, what I'm convicted of is, are you filtering all that stuff through his word, letting him be the commenter, not some bobblehead? Not your neighbor. Is his word commenting on the politics, the media you're watching, or whatever, the hobby you're involved with? Is his word commenting? Are you listening? Are we listening? Do I even care to listen? Sadly, no, a lot of times. I'd rather not. Because it's through his word, that's how he speaks to us on how to understand all those things correctly and in their depth. But sadly, we think prayer time is a one-time thing at the end of the day or at the beginning or maybe in some type of transition and not a constant state of the heart or mind. Praying without ceasing. And then we wonder why we're so stressed out, why we're so tired, why we're so angry, why we're so discontent, and for our immediate context, why we're not always rejoicing in the Lord. The major reason is this. We're not in constant communion with our Lord, being comforted by his word and awesome wonders of the gospel, letting that filter all that we take in so we can grow in dependence upon him and rest in him, knowing he will take care of us but rather we fill our minds with thinking that we have to take care of everything. If I don't, if I don't. He can get a donkey to sleep. You think he needs you? He split the Red Sea. You think he... It says, I believe in the Psalms, that the king's heart is just like a river in his hand. He directs it wherever he wants to go. You think he needs you? No, he wants you. He doesn't need you. But if I don't, yeah, you won't. You can't guarantee you're going to live tomorrow. 
And when you're dead, then who's going to do it? God would still be there, wouldn't he? But praise be to God that this too he does not hold against us. Our sins of ignoring him in our life. But Christ has accomplished a perfect prayer life for me. He has he, he had constant communication. He lived in the constant presence of the Father for us all. And he stated this in John chapter 5, verse 19. So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, so the Son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the Father do. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does also. Then lastly, Paul says, I think the heaviest command of all three in verse 18. Give thanks in all circumstances. That's a few more words that you can memorize that too, actually. Now, just like before, I want to make clear what Paul is not saying. He is not saying to be thankful for all circumstances, but in all circumstances. So he's not saying you need to be thankful for the bad, horrid, and wretched things that happen to you. Like, for example, he's not telling us to be thankful that your dog died or that we lost our job, or our bodies are in pain because they're breaking down as we get older. Rather, he's saying we are to be thankful to God despite our circumstances. This would mean that when things are going bad in our life, and things are getting rough, we are to be thankful to the Lord knowing, as Romans 8.28 says, and we know that for those who love God, all things, even the bad things, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. Working for your betterment and good. We are to be thankful because we know that whatever the season of life is, as brutal as it may be, we can be thankful to God in knowing that it only worked for our favor in the end. For whatever the trial or tribulation is, we can know that it is there to make us turn away from self-reliance and turn to Christ in dependence, all by faith in him. And for that, we can be thankful. See, when trials of this world set in, and they begin to rip away your self-confidence, expose your insecurities, expose your worries, your fears, when it lays in and just reveals how weak your heart actually is, it says, see, you're nothing. We can give thanks to God for such weakness in you so that we can rely upon Jesus all the more and thank him for his work for us by faith in him alone. Yet, generally, when things go wrong, and when things go wrong in my life, I am all but thankful in it to God. But rather, I tend to complain and become a little bit bitter. And this verse is saying that should not be. We are to always look for things we can be thankful for, even in the worst circumstances. I'm going to be more direct. We are called to see God's sovereign hand always working in our life and within the world around us. Within the world, you're called to look for his hand at work and be thankful for it. Acknowledging his workings at all times. Even if you don't fully see it, we can give thanks in the truth and knowing that he's always there and always working his will amongst us and in this world. He is not gone. He has not forsaken this world. And even still, 
even if you can't see his hand at all and for the time can't see any good that he's doing in this world because things are just so horrible for you in those moments and there are times and seasons that are good just for you. We are always then to give thanks even in those moments for the most precious thing ever, our salvation in Jesus, no matter how good or how bad it is. For we have been saved from our wasted, pointless ways of life. And we now have meaning and direction and purpose as we live here upon this earth, even if that's just glorifying God. You know, one of the greatest examples I've ever heard is why do some of the most beautiful flowers bloom in the remote places where no one ever sees them? Because God takes care of them. And that may be what it is for you. No one can see them. But God can. He can see you bloom and that hurts. And so just trust him in that. And ask that he takes care of you. For we have been saved. But again, sadly, too many times, we don't make much of the blessings God gives us, let alone of the salvation that he has given us through the shedding of his blood son for you and I. We just think, Speaking personally, when things get bad in life or rough, I forget so easily of the wonderful salvation that I have and should be thankful for and rather get into a mood about just complaining for a while. Complaining about this. Complaining about this life that will soon pass away and I live and complain as if it's going to last forever. But here's the thing. My salvation will last forever. And everything else will pass away. How foolish am I before God and how quickly I forget to give thanks in all circumstances for such a gracious blessing of salvation that's not dependent on my circumstances, but solely dependent upon what Christ has done. That should thanks should pour from my heart and mouth at all times in such a moment. But again, as honestly as it doesn't, but praise be to God for Jesus who fulfilled this giving thanks at all times and all circumstances for you and I. So that we can rest in the promise of the gospel that's ever so clearly stated in Psalm 103 which says, He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. Jesus has done it all. Then lastly, 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 18, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. And we get two major things. The first is this. This is what God expects for you as long as you live upon this earth. So if you ever wondered what is God's will for your life, well, now you know. Though it's not his comprehensive will, as in everything he wants from you, there are three command, the three commands we went over, rejoicing, praying, and being thankful, are at least three things God wants you to do with your life and all that you face. So are you in an argument with someone? Are you having relational issues in your life? Are you having a hard time dealing with some new physical ailment? Are you dealing with a major decision? Are you struggling with the thoughts that maybe you're failing as a parent, a grandparent, a spouse, being a friend, or maybe you're failing at life itself? Whatever you're dealing with or struggling with or planning on or whatever goals you have, what we have just read here, is what God's will is for you in those moments. 
he has ex his expectations is that you handle all these things with joy, rejoicing always, praying without ceasing, and giving thanks in all circumstances. And I think as we've covered, we have to admit that's impossible on our own. But what God demands, he provides. And you see that clearly from the text. It's not just me saying nice things. You see how he does it. For notice Paul says that this is the will of God, but does not end there, but qualifies it, says this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you, which is another way of expressing the gospel promises to us all who have faith in Christ so we can be at rest. So he is saying the demands that he has said have all been fulfilled in Jesus and through faith in Jesus alone. And through that, through him, Jesus himself will work God's will then in your life. That through faith in Christ, he alone will change your heart, your mind, and your will to begin to not only want to do these very commands out of love for God, but he'll also give you the power to follow them by his grace. Again, this does not mean that you'll grow stronger, but it means you will get weaker so that you have to rely upon Jesus for this. For growing in faith is that you mature in seeing how completely deficient you are, but how fully sufficient Jesus is. And then, and only then, as a consequence, will you live out these very commands. And you probably won't even realize it, because it'll just happen. It's, your part, it's a part of your new nature. Remembering following Christ is not following rules, but it's living by faith. Christ didn't come to give you a checklist. He came to give you life. And that life will come about in ways and at times beyond your understanding. And you will do this all with a peace in your soul where you'll be looking more at Jesus than at whatever is going on in your life. Because you'll be too busy in those moments rejoicing in him, praying to him, and thanking him. Because in those moments, your life will be all about him and not you. And you won't even realize it. So church, focus on the finished works of Christ in your place. And all will be well with your heart, mind, and soul. And even if you mess up on the way and begin to look at everything else but Jesus, come back to the message of the gospel of the grace of God, all by faith and rest in the truth that Christ's love and blessing will never leave you, no matter how many times you forget.